Well, this morning we are back in the book of Romans. Uh, We took a break from the book of Romans to uh, celebrate Advent and to reflect and remember Christ and his uh, appearance, his incarnation. And we are back in the book of Romans. We're going to pick things up back in chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to look at the first uh, 12 verses uh, in that uh, chapter, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Maybe uh, set the stage just a little bit, uh, very quickly, very briefly. Uh, the first three chapters, or two and a half chapters, three and a half chapters, uh, Paul was basically giving us the bad news. Uh, he was basically communicating to us that you are a lot more sinful than you could ever dare imagine. And he was telling us that things that we needed to hear to be in a place where we could hear the good news, where we could hear him say, beginning in the midst of chapter 3, you are far more loved than you could ever imagine at the same time. And he talks about Christ and a propitiation for us, how he bore the wrath of God in light of our sin, in light of the bad news. And Paul is continuing on that, that message. This morning he's going to get a little bit more practical Uh, if you will, in terms of what it looks like for us to know this good news, how this good news becomes ours. And so think about chapter 4, beginning of chapter 4, and the middle of chapter 3 is Paul turning a corner, if you will. He's moved beyond talking about uh, sin and the need for a Savior to talking about the Savior that has come uh, for us to redeem us. And so as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Let's hear God's word to us. What then shall we say that Abraham our father, that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And then verse 9. It is this blessedness only is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. We have seen that we have been saying that Abraham's life was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also who follow in in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Would you pray with me? Father God, we pray in these uh, moments here that you would simply give us ears to hear of what it means to know you, of what you have done for us, and it would sink deep into uh, our hearts 
past all the anxiety, past all the uncertainty, past all the loneliness or the boredom or the distraction, and that you administer to us by your word. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated? In the New Testament uh, and in the Old Testament, faith is a big deal. Uh, in the book of Jude, the author speaks of faith like this. He says, faith is once for, once for all delivered to the saints. When Jude talks about faith there, he is talking about the Christian religion faith. That's how he's defining faith as the religion of the, of the Bible, our beliefs about Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. That faith, that body of belief that we have This morning, we are going to pick up the the theme of faith because it's so outstanding in this passage. It's so present and so strong. We're going to talk about what faith is and how how faith is important for us as believers, how everything hinges on us trusting and and seeing him. And so three things I want us to to look at and and discuss. The first, I want to talk about uh, the purpose of faith. We're going to see this as we move through this passage a little bit. What does this passage teach us about the purpose of faith? And then we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham as the, the pattern of faith, if you will. Uh, what things is Paul trying to communicate to us about the life of Abraham and about faith that, that we need to, to be aware of and to, to grow deeper in? And then lastly, or thirdly, just some points of application, uh, a couple points of application of practicality. What does this mean uh, for us in light of these truths, in light of what, what Paul is communicating uh, to us here? So first, let's think about uh, the purpose of faith, the purpose of faith. You read through this passage again, you see how that faith is a big deal. It's repeated over and over again, along with credited or along with, with counted, as you read through this passage. And so it's worthy of, so what does he mean by faith? It, it, Jude talks about faith as the, our body of, of belief, the Christian religion type of faith, but that's not what Paul is, how Paul is using it here. He's using it in a different way and with a different uh, ring to it and a different meaning for us. How does he mean by, what does he mean by faith for us? So I want to I talk about what he's defining here, but I want to do it uh, this, in this way, in this uh, means, if you will. Some of you are familiar with the evangelistic program, uh, Evangelism Explosion. Uh, it's just a, an outreach program where it gives you some principles, gives you some tools to, to share your faith and to talk about Jesus, talk about the gospel with those uh, around you, whether people you're familiar with or, or just kind of strangers. And they have made popular uh, two questions to kind of get those conversations going about Christ and about the gospel. And one of those questions goes like this. If you were to die tonight and go before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If you were to die, you got eaten by a shark. I wish that upon nobody. But if you were to die and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? What would your response be to him? I've asked this question a number of times uh, to individuals, and I've gotten uh, various answers, but I've gotten three answers uh, to this, and they go uh, like this. Some will say, well, God should let me into heaven because I've tried my best to be a good person. God should let me in because I've tried my best to be a good person. Again, we're, we're, we want to take these answers and kind of line them up with what Paul is communicating to us here, especially in chapter 4. 
What they're, they're missing here is that you appreciate the earnestness and the desire, but you're, what's missing here is, is faith. There's, the des- there's this works mentality. I, I can get, God's going to accept me because of what I do, because of how I live, and because of the choices I've made and the people I choose to hang out with. Uh, I, can, I can look around and say, I am better than this person, that person, that person, and, and God is going to accept me because of the life I've lived, because of my lifestyle. Your lifestyle choices are important, and, and the works that you do and the good things you do are important, but in terms of, of meriting salvation, uh, they hold little water for us. Others will say, God should let me into heaven because I believe in him and try to do his will. This is good because it's, it's invited faith into the, the answer, so to speak. I, I believe in him, and I'm trying to do his will. Well, the answer begs the question, is, well, what are you believing in specifically, and, and why are you trying to do his will? It's, it's like this person is, is, is forgetting that, that salvation is a gift. It's something given to us. It's something to be received and this answer puts God in a corner. God, you've got to accept me. You've got to let me pass because I believe in you and because I've tried to live my life, because I've done the right thing, because I've done uh, acceptable things. You've got to let me into your heaven. The third uh, answer goes like this. God should let me into heaven because I believe in him with all my heart. He should let me in because I believe in him with all my heart. I think this answer falls short, or I would want to follow up with it to have it flushed out a little bit more. But just on its face, this answer is saying, my faith is in my faith. I am sure I'm getting into heaven because I believe. And because I'm a believing person, that's what's going to get me there. Now, without flushing out this answer, in and of itself, it's saying, my faith is my work. You should let me in because I believe. That's, that's what I'm bringing to the table, and that should be enough to get me into heaven. That's my work, if you will. Now, let me give you a, an answer, I think, that comes, uh, hits more the, the, the spot of what Paul is trying to communicate to us here. God should let me into heaven because I trust in the saving provision of Christ. Why should I let you into heaven? Because I trust in the saving provision of Christ, period. Because I receive and rest in Christ for salvation, that's why he should let me into heaven, period. And you see what this answer is doing. It's, it's, it involves faith, but it involves a faith looking at a specific person, a specific work that's been done for us on our behalf. Go back again and look at, at verse 5 and what Paul communicates he says, however, to the one who does, who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It's clear from this passage that to, to be saved does not involve working. Now, don't hear me say a Christian is somebody who does not obey. A Christian is somebody who does not have to obey, who doesn't have to do good things, whose life, it doesn't matter. That's, that's not what I'm saying, and that's another conversation, it's another sermon. But in terms of meriting salvation, there's nothing that we do to, to work to get that salvation. It's simply by faith. It's simply by receiving what has been done for us, and that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, don't think about working. The, the person who works is not gaining salvation. He's not gaining righteousness. Righteousness is gained 
or seen in our lives when we believe, when it's met with, with faith. And so why is salvation so dependent upon faith? Why is Paul so stressing, uh, contrasting faith with works? Well, I think there's, there's two reasons for that. The first reason is that our faith has an object. Our faith has an object. That's what was missing with some of those responses to, why shall I let you into heaven? They brought faith to the table, but it was missing an object. It was missing something that we believe in. Faith is, is the means, it's the vehicle for receiving the gift that's been given to us. And to have faith and to believe in him and to be credited with righteousness, there's certain things that we have to believe that we're trusting in. We're trusting in that, that God sent a son, his son, and that he lived a perfect and holy life, that he really existed, that he died on the cross, and in his dying on the cross was because of my sin, and my sin was put upon him, and he paid the penalty for my sin, and he was raised to new life, and he exists, and he's standing in heaven now, ruling and reigning on my behalf. The basic things that we are putting our faith in. That's, that's why we say, God, why should, I let you, why should God let you into heaven? It's because I've put my faith in Christ. He's the one that has made payment for my sin, period. It doesn't have to be followed up with what I've done in the record I've, I've kept. But we merit salvation. We merit righteousness when we have our faith and trust in him. There has to be, there's a basic content, in other words, to our belief. It's not just belief to be believing, but we believe in specific things about Christ and what he's done for us. The other reason I think Paul is emphasizing and contrasting this with, with works is it has to, this faith is important, but the faith is, we have to exercise it on a personal level, that we have to personally uh, put our faith and trust in Christ and what he's done on our behalf. Because think about it like this, there are, it, there's pictures in, in, the, in the Bible, particularly in James, where James will say, well, you know, the demons believe. They've got the right content to their belief. They believe in Christ, they know he's there, they know why he came, and they know where he is now. But yet, when Christ shows up to them, they shudder. There's a sense of fear. They fear that, that judgment. They've got the right content, but what are they missing? They've got faith, they've got, they've got a belief in him, what are they missing? Well, certainly they're missing a love for God. They're missing what he has done for them personally on their behalf. In verse 3, it says that Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. We'll get into a little bit what that, the context of all that was, but it does not say that Abraham believed in God. He believed God. The difference being he didn't believe in this general idea of, of God is out there, he's real, and he's, he's there for me. But he believed God for himself. In other words, he was trusting God and his promises as they applied to him, as they were true for him, and they were received by him, a gift that he received from him. I'm assuming that there's not a lot of rock climbing people uh, here in this uh, room this morning, but I'm going to give you a rock climbing illustration, okay? If you're going to go rock climbing, what you need, if you want to survive, I guess, is you need a belay. And a belay is a system of ropes and carabiners and straps, and it's attached to the climber, and the other end is attached to an individual, individual on the ground, and they hold the, that end of the rope. 
And so if you're a rock climber, you go out and you find your equipment, you find the belay, the rope, and the carabiners and all that, and you inspect it. You look it over. Is it frayed? Is it, are the knots strong? Are the carabiners good to go? And the straps and all those things. You look at that and you say, yes, it's going to hold me. It's going to support me. It's in good shape. But you're still not putting your faith in that equipment, so to speak, yet. You've got to put that stuff on. And you've got to begin to climb that wall. And you're really not putting your faith in that belay and in that person below you holding the other end of that rope until you get to the point in your climb where you realize if you were to fall, if you were to slip, it would be over. That's when you're putting your faith in the belay. And you think about that in terms of our faith and in terms of this righteousness that Paul is communicating to us. It's one thing to believe in a general idea that that God is there, uh, that he did these things and all these facts are true about him. It's another thing to put your faith and trust in those things for yourself. To say these things are not only true, but they're true for me. There's an illustration that I saw and read about that somebody's relating from Reader's Digest. And it's a classroom situation. It's like a first grade situation. And the teacher is teaching about the Declaration of Independence. And she's got this copy of the Declaration and she just passes it out, passes out a copy to the students for them to look at. So it's going from desk to desk to desk to desk. Each student looking at it and most of them not really paying attention but passing it along. Well, there's one student in that classroom named Luigi. And Luigi is a first-generation American. And he gets that Declaration of Independence and he looks at it. He scans over it and he pulls out a pen. And before passing along, he signs his name to the bottom. What's he doing? He's saying this is not, this document is not only true for 18th century colonials, but this document is true for me today. He's taking it, he's making it true for himself personally. It's one thing to believe all these facts about the Bible, all these facts about Christ. It's another thing to say, I need those facts for myself. I need a Savior. I need somebody to pay for my sins. I need to rest in him. I need to put my trust in him. And so when God asks me, why should I let you into heaven? It's because I've put my faith and trust in your son who paid the penalty for my sins, period. It's what he has done for me. Your salvation involves works. It's just not your works. It's the work of Christ for you in your place. And Paul takes this theme of faith and he says we need a a little bit more. And he flushes it out with the use of an example. And he uses Abraham as, as a pattern of faith and belief. Remember, he is talking to Jews a good bit of his audience are Jewish. And if, any, if, they were to put, if he was to pull anybody out as, as an example of faith and how this works in somebody's life, Abraham is that person. Abraham is that go-to person. And he's pulling out a, a quote or an incident from uh, the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And in verse 3, Paul says, What does Scripture say? Genesis uh, 15. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and his believing was counted or credited as righteousness to him. Now, did God regard Abraham righteous because of the things he did or because of his faith? He regarded Abraham as righteous or acceptable and right standing with God because of his belief, because of his trust. 
And Paul is saying the same way that Abraham received a right standing with God by faith, it's the same way that we receive that right standing with God. It's always been by faith. It's always by receiving from God the promises that he gives to us. And then he gets into a little history lesson. And the history lesson relates to the order of things and how things flushed out. Look at verse 11. He says, And he, being Abraham, received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. Why is that important? Paul is saying, remember the order. Remember what happened in the life of Abraham. The order matters. Did, did God come to Abraham and say to him, you know what, I want to give you the physical sign of circumcision, and I want you to take this circumcision and do this work and know that you're set apart, and when you obey me, then I'm going to make you righteous. That's not what happens. Paul is saying the order is important. Circumcision and the sign of circumcision, the seal of circumcision, that happens in Genesis 17. Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 15 here. And Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness before he did any works. It's the same with us, that we receive this gift of righteousness. We receive this uh, when we believe in him. Now, something else, just a, a couple, uh, couple things, and then I'll get some practical application. That word credited or counted some translations have reckon. It feels unusual uh, to us. Maybe you read that, and that sounds really strange. It, our, our righteousness was credited to us or counted to us. Or that counted or that credited, it's an accounting-type term. It's an accounting term that means that you, this person has a new status. They were once this kind of person, and they've been given a new status. Now they're this kind of person. Something that was not true of them before is now true of them. Maybe think about it uh, like this. Some people will say, you know, we are living in this house, but it's a, a, a lease-to-buy situation, meaning that we're paying rent on it, and if there's somewhere down the road where we say, you know what, we want to buy this, the owner of the house can say, okay, I'll take your rent payments, and I will now change those and make those into mortgage payments. The status of those payments has changed. They're no longer rent payments, but now they're, they're mortgage payments. This was once how it was recognized like this, but now it's recognized as something else. Or maybe like this, you think about when you were a kid or kids playing a game outside and they're playing baseball or playing football or some other activity and somebody will stop the game and will say, hold on, that doesn't count. You cheated. That point doesn't count. That touchdown doesn't count. That, that basket doesn't count because you cheated, because you did this. What are they saying? You don't get credit for that. Because you did it wrong. We're not going to give you that status, if you will, because of how you behaved. When you are credited with righteousness, God is saying to us that he looks at us like we are righteous. That we are acceptable in his sight. And I say like we're righteous, he considers us righteous, we're credited with righteousness. We're still sinful. We still do sinful things. We're still mean to our spouses, okay? We still get angry. We're still sinners, but God looks at us and he counts us as what? As righteous because we've received Christ by faith, because of the object of our faith 
is him. He's given us a new standing. And that is so important for us to remember, that you have been given a new standing. It's, God is not looking at you and saying, what have you done for me lately? He's saying to us, you have been given a new standing in his sight. And so take these two points of, of application, and then we'll close with prayer. The first is this, because we are counted righteous, will you be confident? Because you are counted righteous, will you be confident? And I say confident because you cannot lose this standing. It is a gift that you have received, something that, that we believe, something that has been done for us. And so will you be confident in your new standing with him? And this is why that's important. This is, this is why I think why that's important for us. Imagine uh, you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking to yourself, if I was to ask you, what does God think about you right now? How does God think about you right now? Some of you might say, well, I think God is disappointed with me. Uh, I keep saying I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and he's just disappointed with me. I keep failing my spouse or I keep failing in this or that situation. Or maybe you imagine that God is frustrated with you. Imagine God to be frustrated with you because you know you're not listening to him. You're going your own way. You're not listening to him in this situation or that situation. So you imagine God is frustrated with you. Or maybe you imagine that God has given up on you. That's how you answer that question. What does God think about you right now? I think he's just given up on me. Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in God and in Christ and what he's done for me. But I just can't get my act together. I can't get things together. So I think he's just kind of like, you know, I love you, but you're just kind of on your own out there. If belief in God makes you righteous, if belief in God has credited you with a new status, then we can be confident in that new status. What does God think about you right now? He thinks about you as fully loved, fully acceptable, fully right in his eyes, right standing with him. And so will you be confident in that? The second thing is this, and we'll close with prayer after this. Because you are counted as righteous, Will you come to him? Because you're counted as righteous, will you come to him? Think about it like this. Have you ever purchased something, bought something, and you brought it home, and you thought in the store or online it looked great, but you brought it home and it said, this is not what I thought it would be. I can remember buying a pair of shoes. They're going to be like, these are going to be my nice kind of dress, casual shoes. They're going to be great. I ordered them. I got them home. Looked at them. I said, this is not what I thought it would be. It wasn't the right size. It wasn't the right fit. It just wasn't what I expected. So I returned it. When God extends you the gift of his righteousness by faith and you receive it by faith, he knows what he is buying, if you will. He knows what he's getting into with you. He knows your history. He knows your story. He knows who you are. And he still says to us, I love you. I want you. I, I want you in my life. And so the question is for us, will you come to him? I think there's times in our lives where we have these excuses that go on in our heart as why we don't want to move towards him. We think about various things that are true. We think, God, I want to come to you, but I'm just not right with my spouse. I need to clean that up. I need to, to be a better husband or a better wife, and then I can really come to you. Or we use the excuse of, 
God, I'm, I'm struggling in this area with this temptation, with this lust, or with this bad habit. And when I get that together, then I'll come to you. Then I, then I know I can come towards you. Or we think, God, I can barely make it to church. It, it's all I can do to get here on a Sunday morning in time to hear things and be relatively attentive to what's going on. Uh, when I clean that up, then I'm really going to come to you. What does God say to that? He basically says, get over it. My blood is sufficient to cover your shortcomings. I knew what I was getting into when I sent my son to die for you. I knew what to expect. I knew who you are. And he says to us, come. I know what I was purchasing. I know what I was buying when I gave my son to you. And the invitation for us is to come. He knows everything that's true about us. There's nothing that's going to surprise him about our lives and about our situations. And he says, come. Know the righteousness. Know the new status. Know what I have done for you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are weak. Father God, we are are sinful. We are a people that need to be given a new status. Father God, would you fill us with faith? Faith to receive what you've done for us. Faith to trust in you. Faith to lean into you. Faith to rest in you that we are made right with you because of what you have done for us. Not because of what we aspire to, not because we're trying to uh, live a good life, but you've made us righteous by your Son. And we pray that we would rest fully in him, that the truth and status of that would sink deep into our hearts, and it would change us, it would move us to pursue you and to love you and to know your name and your glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.